Hey, you're listening to Mig's Front Page with Peter Movilla. Today we'll be discussing the paper entitled Factors That Influence Applicants Pursuing a Fellowship in Minimally Invasive Gynecologic Surgery. In this paper, a 32-item web-based survey was distributed to all the applicants applying for the FMIGS 2018 cycle to better gauge their interest in the fellowship. We have with us today, first author, Dr. Jessica Trailer from Northwestern Medicine. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Well, I really enjoyed reading this paper, partially because I just went through this process, and it was very interesting to see kind of what my co-applicants were going through. Tell me a little bit about what your motivation was for, I guess, researching this and writing this paper. So, as you know, I'm a current minimally invasive gynecologic surgery fellow at Northwestern. Um, and as a fellow, I'm really interested in medical education, both at the resident and fellow level. So trying to understand what factors motivate OBGYN residents to seek additional surgical training touches on both of these realms. And as you know, the fellowship match for MIGS has become increasingly competitive over recent years. I think over the past handful of years, the MIGS applicant to position ratio has neared two to one. And I was actually speaking to my program director, Dr. Magdi Malad, who is the chief of minimally invasive gynecologic surgery at Northwestern. And in discussing this with him recently, he actually shared with me some of the data from the 2020 appointment cycle, which showed that the MIGS applicant to physician ratio was actually 1.65, which is the highest of all OBGYN um, fellowship matches. And it's actually pretty similar to that of pediatric surgery from the year prior. Hmm. Wow. Well, that is very interesting. Makes me glad that we're both fellows. <laughs> Agreed. Well, can you tell me a little bit about the history of the fellowship in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery? Sure. The origins of the fellowship actually date back to the 1980s when reproductive surgery fellowships were established under the Society of Reproductive Surgeons, or SRS. Similar fellowships began to develop across the United States until um, the SRS and AAGL, or what was then known as the American Association of Gynecologic Laparoscopists, joined their committees to form what is now the Fellowship in Minimally Invasive Gynecologic Surgery. So since 2001, the Fellowship in Minimally Invasive Gynecologic Surgery has tried to address both the need and demand for advanced endoscopic training for OBGYN residents. And to date, over 400 fellows have graduated from over 40 programs. Can you discuss a little bit about Table 2 that discusses the background of the applicants into the FMIGS fellowship? Um, so, first of all, our study had over a 47% response rate, which is pretty comparable to other studies reported in the literature. In terms of the applicants that responded to our survey, almost 70% were identified as female, um, and most were in their late 20s to early 30s. We did find some interesting information uh, in terms of MIGS exposure among the respondents to our survey. So about only 20% reported a MIGS resident rotation as part of their OBGYN residency, and about 30% reported that they had a MIGS fellowship associated with their program. Despite this, over half of the respondents reported that they did have exposure to a MIGS-trained attending, which I think just speaks to the dissemination of MIGS through the appointment of faculty at various institutions after training. No, I completely understand and kind of relate to this. Just anecdotally, I remember going through residency, being uncertain which field I wanted to pursue for a fellowship, knowing I wanted further training. And not until I personally also met 
the first MIGS hired attending at the University of California, San Francisco, where I went to residency, was I finally even introduced to this field. I had actually never even heard of it. And this kind of goes to that point that there's a lot of late exposure, if any exposure, to the field. Exactly. I think that's something we can all help to change, and especially as more and more graduates from the fellowship um, are involved in academic medicine, especially we can help inform and, and encourage residents to consider this. I love table three. Can you describe what were the motivating factors that influenced these applicants to pursue a fellowship in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery? So table three actually shows that the factor most frequently ranked first in order of importance, looking and asking the applicants, you know, what was the primary motivating factor for applying to the fellowship? Um, the most frequently factor that was ranked first was interest in MIGS, which makes a lot of sense. I actually like to also look at figure one because figure one shows how applicants um, subjectively qualified their the importance of the different motivating factors. And so it shows that nearly 95% of respondents cited an interest in MIGS as either important <coughs> or very important. And over 75% actually cited a career in academic medicine as important or very important. So taken together, these findings suggest that MIGS applicants are interested in being content experts in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery, as well as academic clinicians who can serve in vital roles as educators, researchers, and program developers. Figure two actually had some pretty interesting data. It looks like you pulled these applicants discussing what their comfort level would be immediately after residency and performing some standard gynecologic cases. Could you go a little bit in depth into that and tell me what your thoughts are? We were interested in applicants' self-rated comfort levels with minimally invasive surgeries without additional surgical training after residency. So respondents told us that with MIGS overall and total laparoscopic hysterectomy, about half of them would feel moderately comfortable with these procedures. This comfort level dropped notably when asked the same question about robotic-assisted laparoscopic hysterectomy and laparoscopic myomectomy. I think this reflects one of the reasons behind the increased demand for additional surgical training beyond OBGYN residency, because I think individuals would like to feel more comfortable with these procedures as they enter into practice. You know, what do you see the future of gynecologic surgery? You know, how can we continue to train qualified surgeons um, in this field to provide the necessary care for the future of our patients? Absolutely. This is definitely a critical issue. Um, first, I 100% support the increased utilization of simulation as only one um, strategy to help combat this issue. I think in our survey, I was very happy to see that over 80% of respondents reported exposure to surgical simulation in their residency. So that's great. Um, and I think we can continue to focus on that and increase it, especially as surgical numbers decline or surgical volume declines. Um, we've seen examples of strategies beyond residency education in terms of how to make sure we ensure high quality surgical care for our patients. So some large medical groups uh, track and funnel surgeries to their highest volume surgeons. We've seen other institutions that have developed quality improvement initiatives that pair either high volume or mixed trained surgeons with other 
uh, specialists in general OBGYN, which may not have that high volume or mix training in order to increase comfort level, increase proficiency, and ultimately increase the provision of minimally invasive surgery to patients. So these examples definitely have um, worked in, in other settings. I think whether or not this sort of framework of the division of labor trickles down to OBGYN residency remains to be seen. It's also um, interesting that we just recently had the focused practice designation granted to our subspecialty from the American Board of Medical Specialties that will allow minimally invasive gynecologic surgeons to apply for this designation and hopefully add more value and focus to their um, continuing professional development. So I think all of these speak to a focus on proficiency so that we can provide the highest quality care to our patients. Overall, I think the future of gynecologic surgical provision is an evolving issue, but many brilliant and committed people are talking about this. And the fact that we are having this discussion is a good first step toward developing innovative solutions that will, number one, as you mentioned, acknowledge the diverse scope of learning and practice that is currently required of OBGYN residency. Number two, increase proficiency amongst our residency graduates, graduates and facilitate the training of providers that will provide high-quality surgical care to our patients. Yeah, what a fantastic answer to such a complex question. It's definitely a complex question. Well, thank you so much again for, number one, researching this, publishing this so we can learn a little bit more about you know, our fellowship, our history, and you know, what direction we think it might be headed. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast this month. I look forward to seeing you guys next time.